Can we say thank you one more time to Pastor Jen and all of our volunteers? What a great weekend. Good morning, everybody. How are you doing today? I hope you're doing well. My name is Sean. I'm one of the pastors here on this team. And it's great to have you here, whether you're in the room or you are online with us. It is just good to be here today. And I got to tell you, I, over these last few days, worked very hard at getting that song out of my head. And now it is back. And uh, every day, all week is what we do. But you're here and we're ready to get going. We're, we're jumping back into our series not as it seems. It's a, it's a study in the book of Revelation, and we want to jump in. And, and to do that today, I've got this picture on the screen for you, and it's an old picture. How many of you are familiar with good old Charlie Brown? Anybody? You're familiar with Charlie and Sally? Well, they, they engaged in a little bit of a dialogue that went like this. Sally mentioned to Charlie that I, I memorized the, the Bible verse for Sunday, to which Charlie Brown said, well, what verse? And so Sally responded back, well, I don't know. You just made me forget. And, uh, but Sally continues. She says, well, maybe it was something about that Moses guy, or maybe it was something from the book of re-evaluation. <laughs> to which Charlie Brown then says, forgetting is not always a bad thing then. But this, this idea from Charlie and Sally today, the book of re-evaluation, we've been studying Revelation, but what about the book of re-evaluation? And, and we kind of want to kind of wrap our heads around this because what we're about to do today, I, I got to tell you, these chapters, chapters 14 to 16 are pretty hard to swallow. Uh, you thought last week was bad with the dragon and the two beasts. Well, this week there's some stuff in here and it's just like, it's nuts. But, but we're going to engage it because it's here. Like, we're going to talk about angels flying around. We're going to talk about blood, a lot of blood. We're going to talk about wrath. We're going to talk about reaping. The problem is that there's a lot of misunderstanding that people have when it comes to these chapters. And it's for this reason. Daryl Johnson, commentator, says that Jesus gives this info to John and in this form because the imagery gets our attention beyond our intellect and our emotions and into the imagination where the message transforms us. This is the beauty about Revelation. It's going to kind of catch our attention, but Jesus is trying to say something to us. Last week, we talked about this big red dragon and his two beasts. We talked about the one beast that comes from the sea, and that is dragon-manipulated political power. We talked about the land beast, which is dragon-manipulated religious power. The purpose of this counterfeit trinity is one. And it is this, they want to keep you and I from following Jesus Christ. That's the whole intent of this dragon and his little beasts, that they want to keep you from following Jesus. And how many of us can admit, this world is a pretty insane, nuts place most days, yes? And that's exactly what this dragon and his beasts are doing right now. And in our text today, we're also going to be introduced to this place called Babylon. In Revelation chapter 8 and verse 11, we are introduced to Babylon. And we do have these verses that you are going to be able to see on the screen for you as well today. But this idea is that there, are, there is an angel shouting, Babylon is fallen. That great city is fallen. Now, Babylon is not the Iraqi city that many of us would be familiar with. That's not what the Bible is referring to when we hear the word Babylon. And for the record, I'm going to elaborate a little bit more next week on Babylon. But when you see the word Babylon, and we see it a couple times in our text today, it's a code word for humanity living in rebellion against God. Does anybody know of a Babylon <laughs> in this world right now? 
uh, it's a humanity. It's people who are living against. They have ejected God from the center. And then in our text today, it's like God has finally had enough. He is now about to bring the conclusion to the story that we have been living in in Revelation. And over these next few weeks, we're going to wrap this up. Like, how does the future end up? Where are we going? What is this all about? We're going to get there. But today, Charlie Brown and Sally, they bring us to this place where we all need to reevaluate some things that we have learned and reevaluate some things about our life. So let's begin where it ends. In chapter 16, verse 15, Jesus says these words. He says, look, I will come as unexpectedly as a thief, but blessed are those who are watching for me, who keep their clothing ready so they will not have to walk around naked and ashamed. Here's the deal, folks. Jesus is coming back, and he's coming back like a thief. And the reality is, is if you are not ready for when Jesus returns back to this earth, you're out of luck, all right? That's just what this is. Now, again, I'm not trying to sound harsh, but we're going to explain why Jesus over and over gives us opportunity as human beings to respond to this. But he's coming back as a thief in the night. He's coming back for his church, and he's coming back so that he can take us with him to an eternity. And the opposite is true, that if you do not have this relationship with Jesus Christ, you will be living forever in an eternity separated from who he is. Now, we have often talked about these places as heaven and hell. They are realities that we have to be aware of, but here's the reevaluation for us to consider right now in this moment. Do you think Jesus is coming back? But do you live like he's coming back? Or have we become so comfortable just doing this life? I love my family. I love my stuff. I love my things. Nothing wrong with those things. But when they take the place of what Jesus is demanding and asking of us, there's a difference there. And so today, I think we have to reevaluate. Where are you going to go when it comes to eternity? And I would propose that eternity doesn't begin when you're dead. Eternity begins right now for our lives. We're going to see in these chapters that Jesus gives chance after chance to you and I, to humanity, to the world. And multiple times, you're going to see these verses that the people do not repent. People do not want to turn. They know who he is. They know what he's going to do. They know the dragons at play. They know his minions are in play, but they do not want to repent. The reality is, is that you will either have the mark of God on your life, or you will have the mark of the beast. 666. We talked about it last week. If you weren't here, go take a listen to it. And in the text today, we're going to be introduced to these things called bowls. It's kind of like the next round of the judgments of God. Aren't you excited that God brings judgment to the earth? Uh, Anybody? No, not anyone. Okay, all right. But these bowls, and these bowls are, they take us back, though, to a a part of the beginning of the book found in Exodus. I don't know if you you watched this just moments ago, but Pastor Tyson was Pharaoh in the the movie clip. Did you see that? And that's that's the story I want to take you back. Pastor Tyson dressed up as Pharaoh this week. He's walking around, he was asking all of us to bow down to him for some reason. It was really weird, but uh, we chose not to do it. I'm just kidding. He would never do that. Well, maybe once, but anyway. uh, But the story takes us back to Exodus chapter 5, where this gentleman whose name is Moses approaches the Pharaoh of Egypt. Now, Israel is subjected under slavery to Egypt, and Moses goes to Pharaoh, and he asks this one thing, let my people go. You remember this story? If you haven't, it's a fantastic one to go take a look at. But let my people go. But that's where often we stop. 
But there's a second part of the thing that Moses asks. Let my people go so that they may go and worship God. This really is the issue of the book of Revelation. Here is the reevaluation that I'm going to ask you right now. Who are you worshiping? At the beginning of time, even when Moses went to a pharaoh and there was the lack of worship, he wouldn't let people go worship. And today, even in our context and in our culture, I'm asking you the question, who are you worshiping? Who have you bowed your knee to? Eugene Peterson says that the greatest evil that people of faith face from the outside is the obstruction of worship. But the greatest evil that they face from the inside is the subversion of worship. Reality is, folks, today, you are worshiping something. My question is, what is it? Because we all worship something. And we've got two positions pitched before us today. You will either worship God, Jesus, the Lamb, or you will worship the dragon and his beasts. And what we see in the culmination of where we're going to land right now is that God is tired of Pharaoh. God is tired of Babylon. He's tired of the dragon. He's tired of the beasts. And he's like, let's wrap this thing up and let's bring it to an end. And that's kind of where we're going to land here today. Now, how many of you are excited already of what I've just said? You're just like, what is going on here? But in the text, there's, there's tons of hope and there's actually tons of life. And that's where I'd like to pivot us to walk through the rest of the morning. It starts in, in Revelation chapter 14, verses 1. And keep in mind that this verse that you're about to read just comes after the big red dragon and the beasts that have emerged into our world and into our imagery. It then says, in spite of all of that, then I saw the lamb. Who's the lamb? Jesus. I see Jesus standing on Mount Zion, and with him were 144,000 people who had the name of uh, his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. We've learned already that the number 144,000 is a symbol. It's a symbol from Revelation 7, where we see that it is a vast number of every race, nation, tongue, and tribe. It is larger than just the 144,000. It's a symbol. We have to keep that in mind. Now, people of old, when they would have read this one verse, that they see the lamb standing on Mount Zion. What in the world does that mean? It would take them back to Psalm chapter 2, verse 6. And this is a big deal. Take a look at what it says. It says, for the Lord declares, I have placed my chosen king on the throne of Jerusalem on my what? Holy mountain. Guess what the holy mountain was? Zion. So when the people are listening to John echo these words, of the dragon and the beast, but there's the Lamb of God, and he is standing on the holy mountain, Mount Zion. It takes us back to this moment, and really what is being proclaimed in this place is no matter what the beast and the dragons will bring to this earth, God has installed his king over the nations, and his name is Jesus, and guess what? He is in charge, and he is in control. I love it. So we see this introduction out of 14.1 that even though there's evil and chaos all around, Hope is, hope is here. Jesus is in charge. He is in control. And then through the, the, the chapter 14, we see a lot of interesting and strange dynamic. In, in verse 3, we see that there is a new song uh, that has never been sung before that is, that is brought forth. We are encouraged to worship. It's here where we're introduced to three different angels. The first angel comes, and it says that this angel proclaims the good news to this world. So where the devil and his minions are running around the world and bringing evil and chaos, it says that this angel 
angel brings the good news. What's the good news? The good news is this, that Jesus Christ saw you, he saw myself, he came into this world, he went through his life, he died on a cross, but he got back up out of that grave and he ascended to be on his throne in heaven. The good news is this, that Jesus Christ has come to save the world from their sin and their separation from God so that they can one day have a chance at eternity with him. That's the good news. And it shows us that this angel is coming and is preaching the good news. I think that's pretty cool. Wouldn't you love it if an angel showed up to you and just started to preach the good news? I think it would be fantastic. Then the, the second angel comes and the second angel declares, Babylon has fallen, which is great news for us today. Because what this angel is proclaiming is that even in the middle of chaos and evil, guess what? Evil will not be able to stand under the throne of God. It will not have its way. So Babylon has fallen. We're going to get to that a little bit next week. And then the third angel comes. This is the best one. And he says, who's ready for God's fury? <laughs> Anybody? <laughs> Nobody. Nobody wants the fury of God. We, we don't want to do this. But I'm here to tell you today that that's good news. Well, how is that good news that judgment is going to come? Well, I'm going to explain that as we go through this morning, but it says that God's judgment is on its way, and this is a good news story for us to pay attention to. The supreme threat to our own world is not communism, capitalism, socialism, or any other ism or lie. It's God, and he's going to come, and he's going to judge the world and each of us in his righteousness. Pastor Tyson spoke a fantastic message on this judgment stuff a number of weeks ago, and I'm not going to be repetitive to that. If you didn't hear it, go listen to it. It is fantastic. But we need to understand that there's nothing in this world to be afraid of. We have to understand that God's judgment is the ultimate concern for our lives, as well as we have sung this morning, His amazing grace. They sing another song, but this interesting song that happens in chapter 15, it, it lands in verse 2, and it says this, that they sing this song in front of the sea. Remember this sea stuff that we've been talking about? People didn't like the sea. But these people are singing this brand new worship song at the sea. What is it saying, and what is it communicating to us? Please hear me with this, that no matter what you may be walking through today, no matter the evil that you face, no matter the chaos and the, and the pain that you may be walking through, what Revelation 15:2 shows me is that you can, in the face of the chaos and the evil, you can still sing a song in the midst of it. That no matter what comes your way, if you will lift your voice and you will begin to sing the things that God has for you, I'm telling you today that he will minister to you and he will meet you exactly where you are because that is his grace. And guess what, folks? His grace is sufficient for you as it is for me. And these chapters have presented differing perspectives for a really long time. In fact, I'm about to say some things that some of you already had an opinion on. Some of you are going to be like, wow, that's new, that's interesting. Perspectives are everywhere, but I will say this about some of the things I'm about to talk about, that there have been a lot of potential misunderstandings with it. And I'd like to pull three things from this text very quickly today to help us understand what is happening Number one, I'm going to talk about the harvest that is represented on the earth here. We're going to talk about these bowls of judgment. And then we're going to talk about this thing called Armageddon. Anybody ever heard this phrase Armageddon before? Everybody's waiting for this great bloodbath. Well, we'll talk about that. And, uh, and we'll get there. So let me start this with the harvest of the earth. Let me, let me read this to you out of 
chapter 14, it says, Then I saw a white cloud, and seated on the cloud was someone like the Son of Man. He had a gold crown on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand, and then another angel from the temple uh, from the temple, and shouted to the one sitting on the cloud, Swing the sickle, for the time of the harvest has come, and the crop on the earth is, is ripe. So the one sitting on the cloud swung a sickle over the earth, and the whole earth was harvested. And after that, another angel came from the temple in heaven, and he also had a very sharp sickle. And then another angel, who had the power to destroy with fire, came from the altar. He shouted to the angel with the sharp sickle, swing your sickle now to gather the clusters of grapes from the vine of the earth, for they are ripe for judgment. So the angel swung a sickle over the earth and loaded the grapes into the great winepress of God's wrath. And the grapes were trampled in the winepress outside of the city. Somebody say outside the city. That's important for us today. And blood flowed from the winepress in a stream about 180 miles long and as high as a horse's bridle. How many of you know that that's a lot of blood, right? What in the world is happening here? So many students who have studied Revelation will take these and they will look at them as polar opposites. The first swinging of the sickle is Jesus looking at the earth and those people who have bowed their knee to him, who have given him allegiance and the harvest, it says the grain harvest is ripe. So he swipes his sickle and he takes the people of the grain. And it's interesting because what is not noted in this text is the thing when it comes to the grain and the reaping of grain is this thing called chaff and how chaff falls. John does not mention this whatsoever, which is really interesting. Another story, another time. But you've got this first one, the great, the great, uh, the grain cycle. And then over here, we got this language about grapes and with a sickle. But the problem is you don't take a sickle to grapes. That's not how you harvest grapes. That's just not how it happens, right? So a lot of people believe that the first swinging of the sickle has to do with Christians. And this one over here must be, we're going to take out everybody who doesn't love Jesus. And we're going to swipe them out. Thus, the blood is going to run on the streets and everything is going to be a little bit chaotic and pandemonium. But when I also look at this, uh, I see something uh, slightly different that I, I do want to uh, bring to us today. And I want to propose to us that in this text, this swinging of the sickle on both the grain and the, and the grapes is actually not an act of judgment. It's an act of salvation. And let me explain what I mean by that. We understand terminology that Jesus is going to reap his harvest. He tells us the harvest is plentiful. He's ready for that. And then over here, when we kind of talk about these phrases, and this is important for us, but it said in both those things that the crop on the earth is ripe and the grapes are ripe and they need to be gathered from the vine of the earth. Jesus makes this really interesting um, parallel to himself in John chapter 15, where he calls himself the vine of it all, and that you and I are the branches. And so what I look at when I see this text, and I think people for a lot of years have thought, well, we're just going to get this incredible bloodbath. That's not what I'm seeing. See, what I'm beginning to see with this text is that it says that the grapes, you need to gather them from the vine of the earth. In the Bible, we need to understand this. The Bible never uses imagery of reaping for judgment. It's always about gathering what you want to keep. I think what John is being shown by Jesus is that he is going to take those that are ripe in the harvest for, for the grain. It's going to be the grapes because they've been connected to the vine. And this is the gathering of what happens. 
Now, remember when I said moments ago, outside the city, what they would do with these grapes when they took them from the vine is they would go outside of the city and that's where they'd begin to trample on them. They begin to make their wine. Outside of the city is a real important part for the story of what we're looking at because there is something else that actually happened outside of the city over here that the first readers would have paid attention to. Guess what happened in the city, outside the city over here? Jesus died. It was outside of Jerusalem, outside of the city gates where Jesus hung on a cross for your and my sin. And it was outside of the city where everything began to change. I would propose to us today that outside the city is the place of salvation. In fact, when I look at this text, what I'm beginning to see, and I, I, and I follow this camp that the wine press represented in this text is the cross of Jesus Christ. What we see here is that the wrath of God against sin is expressed to its fullness. In fact, when we read the language of all the blood that's in this text, I want to let you know that I believe that is the blood of Jesus Christ, perhaps the blood of the martyrs that have lost their life for living for him. But what I want us to see here today with 180 miles of blood flowing up to the horse's bridle is to say this, the blood of Jesus is enough to cover anybody and everybody in this entire world. I think that's what this is. I don't look at this as like, oh, we're going to have a bloodbath. No, we're seeing that the blood of Jesus covers everybody. And he is for you. I believe that that wine press is the cross of Christ. Blood for everyone. The second thing is the bowls of judgment. And in the bowls of judgment, and I'm not going to read them in their totality, but today we are introduced to them. And this is the fourth window that we have begun to see in the book of Revelation. And this fourth window shows us the temple of tabernacle. So as God is about to announce his judgment, his wrath for the earth, he's making a picture clear. The picture is this, see my temple. What was the temple of tabernacle? It was the place where the 10 commandments were held, the Ark of the Covenant, and the temple of God was also the place where people met with God. What God is communicating as this wrath and this judgment is about to be poured out upon the earth is that number one, his word is always going to stand strong to the end, and his word will always come back in its fullness, okay? So do not miss that. The second thing is that God is going to meet with this world, his presence is going to come, and he is going to intersect with the evil and the chaos that is here. To me, this is good news again, that God is not going to leave us abandoned, he's going to address us, and he's going to move towards us. These bowls of judgment that we see in, in, in Revelation 6, 15, 16 sorry, are paralleled to the Exodus account. Remember Moses and Pharaoh and what happened there when Pharaoh said no, guess what God did? Ten different plagues. So he threw these plagues out. And what we begin to see is some similarities between them. But over the last number of weeks, we've kind of talked about a, a few things that are important for us. We've talked about seals, trumpets, and we've talked about now today these bowls. Are you telling me, Sean, that there are these three sets of seven, which equal 21 different judgments of God that are going to be poured out onto the earth, which could be true? Or the other perspective that we would present to you today is that there are different perspectives in how these judgments have come forward. What I mean by that is this, is that when we looked at the seals, perhaps the perspective of the seals comes from the suffering church. When we looked at the trumpets, we see the perspective of the world. And when we see the bowls here, it's the perspective of the throne room of God. 
What you will notice between the seals and the bowls, the first five of them are identical in their nature, and there is a difference in the sixth and the seventh. But what we're looking at is perspectives. And I don't know where you're landing. I'm not telling you to believe a certain way. That's up for you. But what I want us to see today is that judgments will take place in this world. What will we do with them? And how will you believe within them? But know this, that no matter what comes, God is saying, the temple of tabernacle, the temple of tabernacle, I am going to meet with my people. His presence will be real, even in the midst of the chaos and the evil that is presented in this world, and he will see us through. And the third thing is Armageddon. In chapter 16, verse 16, we are introduced to this place called Armageddon, where the kings of the world are going to join together, and everybody has believed for a really long time that there's about to be an epic bloodbath of what's going to take place. How many of you think this is pretty cool? I mean, this is going to be great, what's going to take place. But I want to share some facts with you about Armageddon. Number one is that there is no place in the Middle East with the name Armageddon. None. You're not going to find it. So John, what are you doing to us? Why are you presenting something that is completely new, odd, foreign? What are you doing? Remember, John writes in a language that is symbolic most of the time. And what is he going to do with this? I don't know, but I can tell you that there is no actual place that exists under that. The other thing that we would see today is that the word is the Greek transliteration. So remember, Hebrew is the language, but the Greek transliteration of what happens with Armageddon is the Hebrew word Har-Megiddo. Har-Megiddo means the mountain of Megiddo, to which there is no such place. But some of you who have been to Israel, like, oh, contraire, mon frere, and, uh, which I understand. What about, the, what about Megiddo? I've been there. I've actually stood at the plains of Megiddo. I watched it. I had a guide tell me, this is that place. And that place that we're talking about comes from 2 Kings chapter 23, where the kings of, of both Judah and Israel were taken captive by this evil empire that was known as Babylon. So Babylon is important here. It is a real place. It was a real kingdom. And they came and they took over Israel. But here, when we're talking about Armageddon and how people are just excited for this big bloodbath, I'm going to try to burst some of your bubbles politely, easily. I, I don't think this is talking about a bloodbath. In fact, Pastor Tyson is going to lift this a little bit in a couple of weeks in Revelation 19, where it says Jesus comes riding in on a white horse with a sword in his, sword in his hand, and he's got blood on him. I actually, I'm not trying to spoil it. I won't even say it. That blood is not the people that you may think it is. So Armageddon is a real thing. There's no question about it. I don't know what Jesus is going to fully do with it, but I, I've stood on the plains of Megiddo, but it is that. It's a plain, and it was where an epic battle once took place where Judah was captured by Babylon. I think what John is beginning to proclaim to us in this text, though, when he addresses Armageddon, is the great reversal of history. That whereas Babylon once had its day in the sun, guess whose day it is now? Is Jesus. And he's going to bring the reversal of all reversals. And I want you to know today that you have the ability to stand because guess what? Jesus has already won. So in chapter 16, verse 17, the seventh bowl that is presented to us is fantastic. And it says this, that in that bowl, it is declared, it is 
finished. Does that sound familiar to anybody? Yeah? Like, have you heard these words before? It is finished. Uh, it kind of, if you don't know, I mean, I can't wait to tell you, but Jesus was hanging on a cross and the last three words that came out of his mouth that are shown to us in its recording were these, it is finished. What is finished? Like, what are we talking about when this bowl is finally finished and it says it is finished? What is finished? What is finished is your running and my running. What is finished is the reign of sin and death and shame on this earth. What is finished is that Jesus has done away with the evil. He has conquered. He has defeated it. And he sits and he reigns victorious. Folks, it is finished. Jesus is one. Ah, oh, that's such good news for us today. And I love this bowl. It's probably my favorite bowl of all of them. Uh, and probably the favorite judgment of all because God has said enough is enough. It is done. And Jesus did that on a cross. And one day again, when Jesus returns, these words are going to be echoed. It is finished. I have won. The devil and his beast, they are defeated. And the church is coming home with me. Can you wait? I can't wait for that day. I cannot wait. So Charlie Brown, Sally, what do you got to say to us? Because that was a lot of weird stuff. Let's reevaluate just a few things so that you can head into your week today. Number one, decisions have consequences. Let me ask you, who are you worshiping today? Because that matters. You'll either carry the mark of God or you carry the mark of the beast. What are you going to choose? Number two reevaluation is there is a remedy for wrong decisions. And that remedy is repent. Turn from what you have been worshiping. Turn from where you have bowed your knee to something that is not Jesus and repent, and he is gracious enough to do that for you and with you. Number three, why be driven by that which is fallen? This is interesting for us today because 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 says, do not love this world nor the things it offers for you. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but are from this world. And this world is fading away, along with everything that people crave. But anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. Folks, lay down your connection to this world. You are to love the people of this world as Jesus loved this world, but you are not to love the world. You are to love him. And if there is something that stepped in that way, I'm here to encourage you today. It's time to reevaluate what you're doing. And the last thing is announce the gospel. Let me ask you, when is the last time you have announced the gospel? Let that be a reevaluation of all today. When's the last time you've shared the greatest narrative and the greatest story with somebody who needed to hear it? that you were excited about your faith in Jesus Christ and said, I got to tell somebody, will you worship the king this week? Will you announce the gospel with that angel who is flying around and proclaiming the good news today? Will you join the 144,000 strong who proclaim that even in the midst of chaos and evil, listen, there is good news. Jesus Christ is alive and he is one. And guess what? His grace is sufficient for you. Amen. Amen? So let's pray. Father, thank you for your word today. Thank you for the truth and the life that is here in this word today. 
And I thank you that you have been so patient with us. And I see that in our world today, we have been slow to repentance. We have become comfortable, God, with our things and worshiping the things that we want to. But bring your people back to that place of surrender where we repent of our ways, where we turn to you and we give you all that we are so that we would worship the King of kings and the Lord of lords. So help us this week to be under some reevaluation in the things that we are doing. And I pray that for anybody who is here today and you are in this room or you are online and you've never submitted yourself to this king, I'm here to tell you, Jesus went to a cross for you. I know the, the conversation of blood is a weird one, but his blood is enough for you. It can cover a multitude of sin. And what takes place when you make that confession of faith, Jesus, I believe that you died for me and I want you to be my king and he comes in and he begins to shift some things around, but he sets you on a pathway and a trajectory towards him. And if today that is your desire, it's just as easy as saying, Jesus, I need you. Come and be the Lord of my life. Forgive me of my sin. Make me clean. And let me know today that your blood is enough for my life. And if that is you, when we finish this prayer today on the screens, we're encouraging you to text the word LIFE to 250-478-7113. And one of our pastors will be there to take you on a journey of what does it mean to follow this king? So take advantage of that today. So Father, as we walk into this week, be with us. Help us to be under reevaluation with the book of reevaluation. And help us most importantly to see that it is finished. The battle is won. Jesus, you're coming back for your church. And may we be a part of that because the decision is ours. I love you, Jesus, and I give you thanks. Pray in your name. Amen. If you are brand new to us today, welcome to Callwood Church. I know, weird little message, but it's part of what we're doing. But if you're new here today, make sure you go visit one of our pastors in the Welcome Center over here. We still have some backpacks that are available, so take advantage of that as well. And we hope to see you all next Saturday at Party in the Park. Church, have a good week. We love you, and we'll see you next week.